This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review. All things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. As part of our ongoing coverage of the federal election, we brought you one-on-one interviews with NDP leader Thomas Mulcair and liberal leader Justin Trudeau. This week, I had a chance to sit down with conservative leader Prime Minister Stephen Harper. That's coming up. Plus, for the first time ever, Zoomers over the age of 65 outnumber children under 14. What does this mean? I'll be joined by demographer Doug Norris from Environics Analytics. But first... Here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Much like their counterparts in Western countries, Zoomers living in Asia want the opportunity to stay in the workforce longer. That's according to a study by the Global Aging Institute. It found that in Indonesia, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, and South Korea, more than 50% of respondents believed their government should raise the mandatory retirement age. Currently, in many of those places, it is at or around 60. A new study finds that the economic clout of Zoomers is boosting the sexual wellness sector. According to the report by the pharmaceutical company Klein, consumers are now more aware and are becoming more open about purchasing products to aid their sex lives. These include ED drugs, nutritional supplements for sexual enhancement, and personal lubricants. And finally, the world's oldest yoga teacher has some tips for staying healthy and happy. 97-year-old Tao Porshan Lynch shared some of her secrets with the New York Post this week. Number one, it's okay to enjoy an occasional glass of wine, but she sticks to a rule of never drinking alone. Number two, she watches her portion sizes, saying most people pile way too much on their plates. Number three is to stay active and stay positive. Tao still teaches yoga five days a week in a New York studio. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a demographic milestone that's a signpost of our future. This week, StatsCan reported that for the first time, Zoomers over 65 outnumber children under 14. What does it mean for our society? I reached Doug Norris, chief demographer at Environics Analytics. Today, we're 16% of our population over the age of 65. We're headed to a situation where we're going to have 25% over the age of 65. Mm-hmm. And uh, there have been a lot of people who are kind of uh, doom and gloom sayers, you know, saying that it's going to be a huge burden on the health care system. Everything will become very difficult. And other people who are quite optimistic. Where, where do you stand? I'm certainly not of the gloom and doom uh, camp. Um, I'm uh, somewhat optimistic. 
However, I do think that um, we're going to have to see major changes in uh, in certainly government programs and the way governments, and, and not only governments, businesses and others, uh, deliver services to a population because the demand for service is going to be very different than what it was when we were a country of young families. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether our politicians are up to really facing uh, what are, are going to be some hard choices. How soon and what are the priorities, in your opinion? Well, the big uh, dollar programs are, are both the health care and the Social Security programs. On the health care front, I think we're still got a little bit of time. People are in generally pretty good health until 75 to 80. And the boomers today, the oldest boomer, is 69. And so I think we have another five to ten years before those large numbers hit uh, with high levels of of chronic diseases. Just last week, uh, the Ontario Medical Association came out saying that the governments have to start doing that now, starting with, uh, you know, I guess a relatively modest three and a half billion this year. Hopefully in the long run. Um, there might even be some savings because the way we're going now to keep people in uh, acute care hospitals, for example, and even in the nursing homes, uh, is very, very expensive. And if we can look at, you know, more home care, more ways of of uh, treating and dealing with that older population, uh, there may be some upfront costs, but down the road, it'll be a much more efficient system and, and a lower cost system. One of the interesting and uh, I think optimistic things that came out in this, by 2036, it's expected that 40% of Canadians will live to the age of 90. Too often we hear about the burdens of an older population. And my own view is, yes, there are challenges. You know, health care and, and pensions certainly are among, among those. Um, but older people contribute a lot, as, as I'm sure you well know. Well, we uh, certainly, uh, we're, that's what we stand for here. Yeah, so. That's right. So, yes, we certainly agree with, with that. And that gets overlooked uh, way too much, you know, just in caregiving, for example. The amount of, of dollars that, if you can put a dollar figure on it, that older people provide in caregiving is tremendous. We don't have the oldest population in the world. In, in Japan, 26% of the population is 65 or older. And um, I think we have the second lowest percentage at, at our 16.1%. The U.S. has 15%. So what kind of shape are we relative to those other countries, and what can we learn from them? We are among the more developed countries, uh, one of the youngest, together with the U.S. See many examples in caring for the elderly, the kinds of facilities, for example, in Europe and in in some of those countries, uh, very different from what we have. And I think we do have a lot to learn by looking at those uh, countries as examples. The kinds of facilities, you know, Uh, that can replace nursing homes and that can provide, for example, gradual uh, living arrangements as one needs more and more care. One of the ways I think we're a little bit different than a lot of Europe and even Japan is that we're a big country and, and not a dense country like Europe. You know, we're a suburban country in many ways, and one of the things that worries me about our aging is what's going to happen to those people who have been brought up and live in suburbia. I mean, that's a uh, car-based sort of society, hard to get around if you're you're not very mobile. And I do worry a lot about whether our suburbs uh, can adjust and the need for them to adjust 
uh, to an older population. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I've been speaking with demographer Doug Norris from Environics Analytics. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In our continuing series of interviews with the party leaders, I talked with conservative leader Stephen Harper. We'll hear that conversation next. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. With the federal election closing in, it's clear that all three major parties have recognized the importance of the Zoomer vote. I've already brought you in-depth interviews with Thomas Mulcair and Justin Trudeau. This week, I had a chance to sit down with Conservative leader, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. He's not offering any new goodies aimed at our demographic. The Conservative approach is to encourage Zoomers to save on their own. We're bringing in, as you know, a doubling of uh, contributions to tax-free savings accounts, overwhelmingly retired Canadians, Canadians nearing retirement who are using those tax-free savings accounts. Um, We are bringing in the uh, home renovation tax credit, a permanent renovation tax credit. And that's on top, by the way, of what we did in the spring, the home accessibility tax credit, which is specifically for things that seniors can do to keep their homes uh, secure and and modern to continue um, uh, to live in them. Um, we're bringing in a tax credit for uh, single seniors. And look, Libby, I'd say that the, the biggest single difference between what we're saying, the various things we're offering that we're already doing or promising to do going forward and the other guys, is everything they say is predicated on the necessity to either run deficits and or raise taxes. Everything we do, we have a balanced budget in Canada at the federal level. We've done that with lower taxes. We don't really know if the things they're promising are affordable. The things we're promising are affordable, can be delivered. Well, as you know, CARP, a new vision of aging, uh, has been an advocate for a supplementary pension plan, especially if it could be done in the framework of CPP. You say that amounts to a job-killing tax. So in the light of that, what are your thoughts for people are living so much longer yeah. they are supporting their adult children so much right. longer i mean you have to fund a retirement that's almost as long as your working right. life well look this is why uh, we've done things like introduce the tax-free savings accounts why we've introduced more flexible rules for resps some years ago and rifts in our most recent budget we are trying to do things to make it economical for people to save and so they actually get tax breaks for savings. What the other parties are proposing would, would be, in fact, massive payroll tax increases. That's why we believe the right way to do this is to give people incentives so they actually save taxes by saving instead of being hit in the pocketbook for saving. One of the things I haven't heard very much of on this campaign is pharmacare. So we have this patchwork system provinces go their own way and the result is very unequal access for Canadians for life-saving drugs plus we pay 35 percent more than the OECD average for drugs because we don't bulk buy. Well there is increasingly a cooperative bulk buying between the provinces and at the federal level we're actually the one who do drug drug approval so we actually work uh, more and more with the provinces on ensuring supply but look our system in the country is that our health care systems are actually run by our provincial governments and they can make 
uh, individual choices within the framework of the Canada Health Act. So no national pharmacare. We're we're not we're not proposing that. We're proposing to keep the framework of the Canada Health Act. Okay, let's um, move to security now. Uh, the recent debate on foreign affairs yeah. seemed to turn on the question of what are Canadian values. Uh, oh, so it, was the other, it was part of it. Yeah. It was part of it. Yeah. So the other parties suggest that that your approach, which focuses on fighting ISIS, and your approach to Syrian refugees, is somehow negating Canadian values. How do you respond to that? Well, uh, look, our our approach is the only balanced uh, approach. Um, we're not focused just on fighting ISIS, although we are the only party that supports the fight against ISIS. And that's, um, to be blunt, that's about more than just preventing ISIS from creating millions of more refugees. This is an organization that is dedicated in the areas it controls in eastern Syria and western Iraq, dedicated to estab establishing a terrorist caliphate from which it will launch attacks across the world, including against this country. And we know from experience that they have demonstrated a capacity to do that. So we believe with our allies it is important to keep military pressure on them, especially in the absence of ground force in a lot of these regions. And frankly, I don't think any of the other parties have made any case of why we would pull out of that. That threat is very real. It's not going away. It's why all of our allies support such a mission. By no means is our response to this simply uh, the military mission. We're also uh, one of the biggest providers of humanitarian aid to the region. We've provided some $800 million already to the Syria-Iraq region at about I think it's about 1.3 billion if you look at the wider region. In this campaign, uh, because of Canadians' outpouring of concern and sympathy, we announced a matching fund. And on refugees, you know, on refugees, uh, this government announced, I announced we would bring in more refugees. Before this was even in the headlines in this campaign, I announced an additional 10,000. Uh, we've already admitted 23,000 from the region. Uh, we've announced a process by which uh, that will be sped up. We'll be able to do that within a year. Uh, and of course, we're doing this responsibly. We're retaining our selection of immigrants. We're making sure we focus on people who are genuinely refugees, the most vulnerable, particularly from vulnerable ethnic and religious minorities. I was minorities. going to ask, yeah, ask you I'll, something. And, and we're also, let me just finish on this, we're also making sure we maintain security screening. You know, we've seen some other countries just throw their doors open, and that's been a catastrophe, and they're now trying to institute a proper screening process. You are focusing on persecuted minorities yeah. and what is happening, for instance, to Christians in the Middle East is awful. Um, but there are people who say that, you know, uh, bombs can fall on Muslims just as, as easily. What do you say to that? Well, uh, look, absolutely. We know that we know that there's a range of people who are uh, vulnerable in need of assistance. What I would say is this, what, what differentiates ethnic and religious minorities, and by the way, we're not just talking about yeah. Christians. You know, we're talking about minority uh, uh, Muslim communities. I've had many conversations with the Aga Khan about specifically this. The difference here is that these are people whom the so-called Islamic State, ISIS, has targeted specifically for elimination. I mean, they are not merely um, casualties of a, of a conflict. The objective of the Islamic State is actually the eradication of these populations, their slaughter. The other thing that your critics suggest is that Canada's um, importance in the world is somehow diminished. Right. And they often blame your stand on Israel. Right. 
for that? What do you, how do you respond to that? Well, look, I, I'd say first of all that, um, you know, there's actually data on this. The Reputation Institute, which is a respected international organization, did a survey. Canada is the most respected uh, and the most admired country in the world. One of the differences of our foreign policy is we have not been afraid uh, when we believe issues of our interests and our values of, are at stake uh, to be vocal and take a stand, not always to go along and to get along. Um, you know, there, is a, a there has been a global tendency, um, certainly in recent years, I, which troubles me deeply, to see uh, the state of Israel singled out for attack. And this is the only country in the world whose existence is not universally recognized, is under constant threat. The jihadist forces who want to destroy us, Israel is right beside them. Um, this country is singled out for condemnation, for criticism, blamed for every problem in the world, uh, held to standards no one else is to, and why? Um, because it's a convenient scapegoat and because it is the world's only Jewish state. And um, we just believe that is wrong. Look, Israel is not perfect, uh, but we defend unequivocally the right of Israel to exist first and to defend itself and to be a Jewish state. And um, we think that is a value that Canadians widely share. Okay. Prime Minister Harper, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Nice chatting with yeah, you. Thank you. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We said goodbye to a Canadian icon this week. In just a moment, we'll remember Michael Burgess with a piece from the musical that made him famous. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, the Museum of Modern Art is devoting an entire floor to the sculptures of Pablo Picasso in the first major U.S. exhibition of his three-dimensional work in nearly 50 years. They include his bronze she-goat from 1950 and the sheet metal and wire guitar from 1914. A new production of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera is now on tour with its next stop in San Diego. With a cast and orchestra of 52 performers, Phantom plays at San Diego's Civic Theatre. To London, England, where you can discover the secrets behind some of the greatest drawings in history. Drawing in silver and gold, Leonardo to Jasper Johns is at the British Museum. And in Zurich, an exhibition at the National Museum offers a look at Swiss history from its origins to the present day. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week started on a sad note with the news that Canadian tenor Michael Burgess passed away after years of living with cancer. He was only 70. The Regina-born singer played the role of Jean Valjean in more than 1,000 performances of Les Miserables at Toronto's Royal Alexandra Theatre. Then he went on tour with the show across Canada. Many Toronto sports fans also remember him as a frequent singer of the national anthem at Toronto Maple Leafs home games and as the first person to sing O Canada at a World Series baseball game. Right now, we'll hear him in the role that made him famous from Les Mis. Here is Michael Burgess's rendition of Bring Him Home. God on the high. 
That was Michael Burgess with Bring Him Home, a song he sang countless times as Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. He passed away this week at the age of 70. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.